episode of Conversation with a Chef. I'm Joe Ritty and I love sharing with you the conversations I get to have with talented and passionate chefs. It's the backstory, if you will, to the food they're putting up. I begin today by acknowledging the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, traditional custodians of the lands and airwaves where this conversation takes place, land which was never ceded, land where communities came together to eat seasonally, locally and without exhausting resources. I pay my respects to their elders past, present and rising. Today I'm talking to Mariana Shadid at Brûlée Patisserie in Port Melbourne. Mariana is an exquisite patissière. She also wants to change the world for the better, starting with the people she meets on her life journey, as well as those she works with and who come into Brûlée. Mariana discovered a love for cooking by accident when she was working in hospitality while studying architectural technology. Around the same time she decided to pursue cooking, she was also reading Julia Child's book, My Love of France, and decided to follow in her footsteps and learn cooking at Le Cordon Bleu in Paris. After internships at both the prestigious Parisian institution La Tour d'Argent and iconic patisserie Gâteau Tout Mieux, Mariana brought her love for cooking back to Melbourne. Brûlée Patisserie is like a little portal into France in its décor, music and the delicious croissant and French cakes and the aroma as you enter the door is enough to transport you. And as if Mariana wasn't already quite the Wonder Woman, she recently teamed up with podcaster JP to create Through the Eyes of a Chef, a YouTube channel and Instagram account which sees the pair embark on a mission to explore new tastes, textures and aromas, and then they share their discoveries with the viewer. Despite JP's vision impairment, he exudes a passion for exploration, adventure and a deep appreciation for life's fine aspects. This was such an inspiring conversation and I came away feeling all the better for having met Mariana. Let's just start with your story, um, given that, you know, for you storytelling is really important and everything starts with passing, as you said, passing on things on through the generations. So you come from Lebanon. Yes, I do. Um, I was born and raised in Lebanon and then we moved here for a better future. And um, I came here as a student, so we moved um, to Sydney first and I studied architectural technology. And um, yeah, started working in hospitality only because um, as a student you can't really get a job, you know, because yeah. they worry about your visa and that. And yeah, so I know basically everything front of house, but I've never thought I'd ever cook, yes. you know. And then until one day I cooked by mistake and I fell in love. <laughs> I was 27 then. Wow, yeah, okay. Yeah. But what, what part did food play growing up? Well, food, I'm a big food eater. I'm, always tend to be overweight because I love food like I just love it so much so um and then coming from a Lebanese family it's all about food whatever we do it's always around the table of food like whether it's a funeral it's a wedding it's a baptism whatever that is it's just food so yeah I had I was lucky that my both grandmas and my mom and my aunties everybody's a great cook at home yeah but I never wanted to grow up to be a traditional Middle Eastern women that only knows how to cook. Yes. That's why maybe I was resenting the idea of, of cooking. Yeah. 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 
So you cooked that first meal. What was that first meal that you cooked that made you fall in love with it? It was a full set. <laughs> it was a full set. Uh, I was working at a hospital cafe in Werribee, and the chef didn't show up, so um, I had to cook everything from eggs and bacon and fried rice, and and I realized I know how to cook just by sitting with the chefs and you know discussing menus, but never had. So that was that was it. It was a big menu that I had to. And, Put on. and for how many people? It was, I don't know, maybe a hundred, you know. <laughs> that's impressive because I like cooking and then you, you, know, you can watch other people cook, but to put everything up yeah, at yeah. the right I, time. I, I, never, I never knew I could, that's why I'm like, maybe I can do this. Yeah. You know? And the joy that came out of it that day, it was phenomenal. You know? Okay, so that happened and then and then I decided, you decided, I'm yeah, I'm chef. like, but at the same time I was reading the book of... Um, Julia Child, it's called My Love of France, mm. you know, and I was, I, was, I was taken by it at that time, and then her inspiration for me was, because she was older, yep. you know, she started her, at 40 even, her career, and um, I thought, you know, it's never too late, because you always think it's already too late for mm. you to start new, and then that's when I got the guts to go and study cookery. In Paris. Yes. So I, I was lucky enough that my stepdad funded my um, school fees and everything. And um, yeah, that was it. Went to the same school she went to. So I was copying her footsteps, basically. Yeah. And did you do that cooking at home, keeping a diary kind of thing as well, no, the way no. she did? No, no, no. <laughs> Not at all. So I went to France and I've applied. I was lucky to get in. But I wanted, I worked so hard then because, you know, when you're mature, you see life differently when you go to study. Plus, I wanted to make my stepfather proud. Yeah. You know, so I worked so hard there. Was that general cookery? I did both. I did yeah. cuisine and pâtisserie. So I did the grand diploma and um, yeah. And you speak French? Yes, I do. Because yeah. in Lebanon we yeah. all do speak French. It's given in Lebanon that you yeah. speak three languages. Amazing. But that helped too. You know. But I bet. Yeah. I spoke to a, a young pastry chef who's got. Um, the Patisserie Boulangerie um, in Abbotsford yeah. and he went over right after high school his big dream also was to go to Paris to the Cordon Bleu yeah. and, um, but he didn't speak French so that was a big challenge and especially the numbers he said he had yeah. <laughs> the French numbers where he had to really learn things and his, his fellow students would teach him in the flour of the, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. the different writing it in the flour on the, on the bench but um, I think it would definitely help knowing French yeah, yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> Some things aren't really easily translatable. I think it's better yeah, if you're but, in the language. But at the school, it's more done for international students there. So you ah. always have a translator in class, mm. which was great. Yeah. Like even one of my customers here was a translator at the same school. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but it's it helps, definitely. It helps. Even working in France, it helps a lot when you know the language. So I saw then you worked the, the, the Tour d'Argent. Yes, I did. Oh. <laughs> I think I actually, when I read it, I was like, oh! <laughs> I did. It was an amazing experience. I only went there because it was my stepdad's favourite um, favorite restaurant. Oh. And um, every time he's a parent, he'll make sure he goes and dines there. So he goes to me, you have to work hard to get, because it's upon your marks that you get the preference to choose where you want to go for the sure. internship. So yeah, I was pretty lucky to, to be accepted there. Yeah. So how long were you there? Um, around five months. Yeah. Yeah. And what was it like? Because, you know, I speak to lots of chefs who talk about the brigade and in kitchens and so on and I wonder what's it like in France now in, in France it's 
it's hard because in France there's a lot of chefs, yeah. right? Luckily, I wasn't depending, it was an internship, so I worked there for free. But if I was to work as a chef in Paris, you can't survive, it's very hard. Yeah. First of all, the pay is very low, and then Paris itself is very expensive. Yeah. So I, I used to work with people that used to live in a studio that's like, what, 15 square meters? Really, just to, save, to get the experience. And over there, there's so many chefs that they can put any rule they want for you just to get the experience. You know, unless you really make it and become an executive chef or a sous chef thing. But um, how it works, it was phenomenal. Like yeah. in the kitchen, there was, well, I don't know, maybe 60 of us, you know, like, and you said, I remember the first month, a whole month, I was only on the lobster section. When there's a lobster order, I get it fresh, crack it, cook it, and that was my job. You know, so it's, it's pretty intense, but at the same time, there's a lot of discipline, which is in respect. Yeah. That's one thing that um, I didn't find here. Like, it's really an institution. Like, it's, it's like being in the army. It's not like just a job where you can call in sick. No, it's... They're like warriors there in the kitchen. Does that wow. make sense? Yeah, it's like that. And I think front of house as well. Yes. There's a similar yes. so, yeah, standing. Absolutely. Yeah. But it's like they take so much proud and pride of what they do. You know, which, which is phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So tell me a bit more about the Tour of because I've looked, I've looked longingly at the website and the menu. <laughs> it's, it's a very old institution, yes. right? They have the biggest wine cellar in, in, in all of Europe. And it's underground, and then the, the shops, like the restaurants is at level five, which is the pastry kitchen, and level six. And then on the ground floor, um, they've got the, where they... Um, receive all the goods mm. and then there's someone down there that's only receiving and sorting out you know all the produce that come because they have their own farmers even the duck there like they come numbers right they buy them from the same farmer wow. and then even now when you go and then they'll give you a certificate of the duck number that this is number i don't know 5642 served at Lato yeah. So every duck is is um so um so you go in, you go up, and then it's just prep, you know. They work all day, all night, just for a couple of hours service for lunch and a couple of hours service for... And, and how many guests? It fits probably not more than 60 or 70. Yeah, yeah. Is it all degustation or do you have a No, no, they have a la carte. Oh, they have a la carte. Yeah, and then the duck there, they still cook it in a way where we prepare it, but it goes out to the customer they carve it in front of them and then they press it to get all the blood out and then they make the sauce in front of them wow yeah so it's quite it's quite mesmerizing i haven't dined there yet as a as a customer <laughs> but my family has and um yeah, yeah. wow so that's i mean that's really they they've been doing provenance then for a long time yeah it's it's an institution to yeah. the it's not something like it's been there for a long time and now somebody told me that they actually they need to add a rooftop on top mm. for the building and um, they have to move all the wine out because they have to um, make sure the structure of the building can handle it because it's a very old building. Wow. Yeah. And it really is a tower then. I, mm. you know, I've seen like the, the, what it looks like yeah. but um, I hadn't sort of imagined Yeah, so the it's the last yeah. two floors. There's a little bit of um, private, private dining like when you have important people come in, but then upstairs is where everybody dies. Mm. Yeah. 
That's incredible. Are mm. you somewhere else here as well? I went and worked in a pastry shop. Okay. Yeah, for Jean-Francois Piège, who was um, the master chef celebrity. There. Yeah. And that was good. What's really um, which whereabouts is that? Which album? Uh, I think it was in the 14th. Okay. From memory, it was called Gâteau Tout Mieux, and it was only cakes, but cakes where you go in, it's like a jewelry shop. You know, it's not yeah. like a cake shop. There's no seating, you just walk in and then everything's displayed like a, like a jewelry fridge, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's what I love. I do love that about France. We're certainly seeing, you know, more of that here now. Snippets of it, but it's just, um, yeah, there is something about. It. I mean, I haven't been to Paris since 2012, and I'm going next year, and I can't wait. I'm not a big fan. Living in Paris is very different than going as a tourist. So I, I lived in the south of France for yeah, years. So I probably prefer that more. Absolutely. But so when I say absolutely. Paris, I mean France. Yeah, no, but, no. Um, but there is something about, especially for a New Zealander, when I first went to France for the year, um, it was <laughs> 1993, and I was, I was an English assistant, and, um, and I lived in the south, near Avignon, and, um, and then I took the train up to Paris on the October yeah. holidays, yeah. and I think, you know, like I was 22, <laughs> I just remember walking around and just being, um, especially having been studied French, you know, yeah. finally being in France, yeah. so, it's amazing. <laughs> it, it is, like I've been to France, uh, to Paris, France is France is different than Paris. I agree. Right? Yeah. And um, I've been to Paris a few times as a tourist, and it was great experience, right? But living there, it's it's tough. I bet. Yeah. yeah. It's tough because it's not very safe. Um, you don't feel all this as a tourist. You feel them only when you live there. Yeah. You know, it's not very safe. When were you there? Um, 2014, 15. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. And then, like, people steal. You know, like you can't sit. You can't sit now and have your bag no. on the table, no way, even inside a restaurant. And then I remember um, somebody was trying to steal something from a girl late night from our school and he pushed her under the tra train, you know, just to grab her bag. Like wow. it was, yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then they're very lazy when it comes to logistics, mm. you know, like to open a bank account. It took me maybe a month just to open a bank account. Yes. You know, they need a lot of paperwork and then you have to book an appointment. It was just not as easy as here. No, I understand. I mean, it was even like that when I was there. Um, I had to go back and forward to Marseille to the Bureau d'Etranger just to get a long-staying long visa, yeah. even though I'd applied for it from New Zealand and it was set up through yeah. the government, yeah. um, this assistantship program. And every month I would go and yeah. every month they would say, oh no, you just need this other thing. Yeah. At one point I burst into tears and the man just said to me, <laughs> It's not going to help you. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, wow. Yeah, that's yeah, that's right. It's always so romantic and the idea of it is certainly travelling and all these Instagram photos we're seeing of people in absolutely, France at the absolutely. moment. But yeah, yeah, no, no, right. tourism is phenomenal, but to live there, it's, it's quite hard. Yeah. But that's only in Paris. That's right. Because you know, when you travel outside, it's just a beautiful country and it's the people are different and there's not so many tourists and then, you know... Although a friend just, um, I messaged a friend um, who lives in Nice um, yesterday and she was saying her daughter was wondering what it's like to live in New Zealand because it seems like her life is much simpler there than France. Yeah. She was saying the climate there has really changed and um, yeah, and I think that's something, I think probably living in New Zealand is simpler <laughs> than living in New Zealand for all its 5 million people still has its challenges but um, yeah. 
<laughs> but I think we're, we're lucky to live here. I agree. You know, and we have a lot of potentials. Yeah. We have a lot of potential. It's a whole continent that that's, that it's not been consumed. Yeah. You know, we have a lot of resources. We have a lot of... I, I keep saying we have everything except techniques. We only need good ah, techniques. Yes. You know, we can make... We already make the best wine. Dairy is on the way, you know. We can produce the best the world has to offer in this country. So by techniques, do you mean like artisanal things for particular products? Or do you mean Everything, like let's cooking? say, because there's a lot of wineries here that they, they've taken all the techniques they do, their own, like Chablis in France and, and all these, you know, same methods and it's coming out so beautifully here. Mm. Even with the butter, even with the jams, even with the fruits, you know, we have a, even the flower. We've got one of the best flowers in the world. You yeah, know? and it's still our environment is clean. It's it's, and even our um, livestock. Where in the world you still see you drive and you see lamb on the street, like <laughs> in the farms, and even in New Zealand too. Yeah, you know? that's right. So we really need to take advantage of that, and it will come. It will come. Yes. I'm sure. I'm sure it will come. And what do you think? Because I just, um, I've been thinking lately about, um, you know, often in places like New Zealand and Australia, when the when people start out doing something, you know, like say for example, I spoke to um, the guy at Maker and Munger, and we're talking about cheeses. Yeah. The cheesemakers here might feel like they have to make all the kinds of cheese, whereas in Europe, you're known for one kind of cheese, yes. and you do that yes. exceptionally. Yes. But here there's that pressure, it's like, well, what if people don't like that cheese? Or, you know, like, I need to diversify. But that comes with education. Yeah. You know, now um, Australians are travelling, you yes. know, and they're, they're actually well-travelled. Before you, some people, even Lebanese, I know that they've moved, migrated here, let's say, 50 years ago, and never went back, even to Lebanon, let alone to Europe. And, but now you see a lot of people are travelling more, and then they'll appreciate more. And then that migration that's happening, we will get there. Mm. We will get there. Where you are known, let's say, for making, I don't know, let's say come on bed, and then just make that. You will have enough confidence for you to just do one thing and be good at. That's right. Yeah. Or, you know, I was thinking of um, Garth Wishing at Tarts and On, he's just doing Tarts. Yeah. And I think that was a brave move, but it totally works. Yeah. And, um, and I think we're probably at a place, as you say yeah, now, yeah. where more people understand. That's great. Yeah. He does I tarts. still don't have the guts for that. You know, when well, I first opened, no, I know, I know, I know, I know, but I'll tell you how it started. When I first opened, I just wanted to do French, yeah. you know, and that's it. Yeah. But then I'll, I started seeing, like, on weekends, you would come with your friend, you're eating the croissant, your friend's sitting there because he wants eggs and bacon. <laughs> yeah. So I had to introduce all that in, which is, again, that's different, but it happened to me. I was too stubborn at first that I just wanted... French, you know, yeah. nothing else. But um, but people are getting it now a bit more. That's right. Uh, we'll get there. So what is it about pastry that you love? Why pastry and why, why not have, like, open a restaurant, for example? Okay. Um, I was always looking for a lifestyle, yeah, which I still don't have any of it. <laughs> so I've always thought, first of all, if I was, okay, in cooking, there's your soul in the food. There's no way that if you if I give you a recipe and you give me a recipe, we can't do it the same way, yeah. no matter what. You might add a bit of extra salt, you might add a little bit extra dressing or whatever. But in pastry, it's chemistry. Yes. So I've created those recipes and then anybody can duplicate. Because I know 
that it's going to come out the same way. Does that make sense? Yes. But with things like croissants, isn't it certain technique as well? It is, but then you train. I've, I've okay. put a lot of time in training myself. And, uh, but at the same time, it's, we still don't get it right every time, you know, because it's chemistry, as I said, so sometimes the humidity might change. And like one time last fortnight, all our croissants would come out cracked from the top, you know? They'll prove beautifully, but we couldn't figure out. And then it turns out it's the humidity. So we had to lower the humidity when proofing because the, the dough is just too, becoming too wet when we, when we proof it. So it works. You, you learn those tricks. And, 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 but yeah, at the same time, it's, it's weighing. That's what makes me feel safer in opening a patisserie. That you have to weigh a kilo of sugar, a kilo of flour. You know, it's not just whatever you taste. No. <laughs> Every taste practice. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Because I think that's right. So you can t- give them the recipe and they can watch your technique. But then there's all those other things, as you say, you have to be aware of humidity. And that come, must yeah. come from being really in tune with the ingredients. because it's um, a live product. You know, yeah. once you boost that yeast, it's live. You can't control it anymore. But then that's why I'm here. Mm. You know, to see how it feels, how it tastes. And then if I could get somebody at least just to weigh me the stuff, then I can do the rest, which is easy. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that was part of it. Secondly, I would love to open a restaurant, but I don't want to work night time. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I just, I choose, even now it's too much happening. Yeah. But like, um, yeah, maybe summertime we will, because a lot of customers have been asking. Yeah. But then I'm really picky um, with my cooking because Anything that's here, if it's not extremely yummy, I wouldn't serve it. Yeah. You know, that's why I opened the shop. I opened the shop because I wanted to go somewhere where I feel... You work, you see a lot of things happening in, a, in, a, in restaurants. So I wanted a place where I can go and just eat whatever I want, knowing that it's clean, good produce, you know. So that was the whole point of it. And then if I thought to myself, if customers come in, they're welcome. Yeah. You know, and, and now thank God it's doing so good. <laughs> so you opened in 2020? Yeah, during COVID. It was a mistake. It was a mistake that it started, not that I've done it. No. You know, because I was at home in 2020 and um, um, started just to keep busy like everybody else yeah. at home. You know, started baking at home and doing all that. I love the sound of that. I know, it just sounds incredible. <laughs> this is the best croissant I've ever eaten. It's really? so oh, that's good. great. Yeah. Everything about it is perfection. <laughs> and it's not, you know, it's not overly buttery. Sometimes I have croissant and they, and they make me feel a bit queasy because it's yeah. too much, but this is perfection. Yeah. <laughs> and I like it to be wet. You know, a lot of customers come in and say, ah, oh, you know, it's undercooked, but I say it's not undercooked. You know, this is how a croissant should be. It should be so a little bit not soggy but like chewy from the inside it's not yeah. just a dry pastry you know exactly right yeah mm. anyway so um i started um making pastries at home and then one day i made croissants and my family went crazy over it and then the second day i made them so they started asking me to make everyday croissants so every day i'll do one kilo of flour which is nothing like and um, i'll proof it with a cup of hot water you know and the but I've learned a lot during that process too because our flour here is different from France from France you can just you know they have the T55 T45 it's it's a different culture of flour it would be different too. yes so uh, 
what happened was um, I started making it here with Lurpak, just at home. Mm. And then my friend um, said to me, you should start selling these. You know? So I went to the pantry in Brighton and I dropped a box, put my number on the box and I said, um, if they like it, whoever the owner is, let them call me. So they ring me the second day. He goes, what's your story? I said, no story. I just started doing this and I think they're fantastic. He goes, this is the best I've tasted. Start. Mm. I said, but I need time. Like, I don't have anything yet. He goes, do it. So I ran the council um, and we started at the garage. And then from him, we started making him, I don't know, maybe 100 croissant a day to 700 a day. Because from him, I got a lot of customers as a wholesale. And then, yeah. Three months later, I moved here. But I wasn't planning to open a cafe yet. I thought we'll start wholesale and then um, we'll, we'll see how we go. Because COVID, it was very, you know, nobody was on the streets and all that. Yeah, well, it was such an uncertain, or no, who would have known yeah. in 2020 it would yes. last as long either. And then, yeah, customers started um, smelling. You see that smell that you walked in outside. And they'll walk in, even though we had black, on all of the glass, no, nobody could see what's happening inside. But I think this corner here was dead for a while that everybody was excited of what's happening. And then, yeah, we started selling for songs on the street. Yeah. And then slowly, slowly, I've built this whole place with my own hands, except for painting. It feels honest. French. You've got, yeah. like, it's just beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Everything I did with my own hands, except for painting, because I couldn't. You know, but other than that, you'll see a lot of mistakes. Like, if you focus now, you'll see it's very dodgy work. But, <laughs> <laughs> but I was learning that too, so now... Um, it's just yeah. lovely. Yeah. Really, you've really captured the essence of... Um, it was like, you know, when you're young and you play with the Barbie house? Yeah. That was the feel when I opened here. Oh, amazing. You know, I just yeah. wanted... It was like a toy for me. It wasn't a business. Yeah. And then, now I'm learning how to make it a business. But at the same time, it's still a toy for me. Yeah. I love it. I just want my friends to come, we sit down, we eat. Yeah. You know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's really it. So what do you tell me about your cakes? So cakes we do... They look like jewels. Yeah. So we do mainly authentic French, like the midfeuille, the eclair, the fraisier, um, the opera, creme brulee for sure. Um, what else? The Black Forest, but French way. Pavlova, we had to put it in. <laughs> Which is originally from yeah. New Zealand, yeah, not know. Australia. No, it is New Zealand. Although, actually, probably originally from France, the meringue. The meringue, yeah. yeah, but then people adapt to things. Yeah. And then you'll be surprised, a lot of ideas come at the same time from the same people all over the world. Mm. You know, it's not like I could think of something now. And then if I look it up, I know somebody else has thought about it. Yeah. You know? So, who knows? Came from France or New Zealand? Let's keep it New Zealand. New Zealand, yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> it's very yummy, regardless. <laughs> so, yeah, and then we do some sandwiches, some salads, some quiches, all made from the croissant dough. Everything we make here, that's pastry, because it gives it that buttery. Wow. Yeah. And um, when we first started, I was importing the butter from France but I wasn't happy for one reason because butter shouldn't last especially if it's cultured butter it shouldn't last more than a month but then it comes in and then they say it lasts for six months after defrosting you know 
And then I thought to myself, there must be a way that we can... We have the best theory here. Mm. You know? So I started looking at changing it. So we started doing the butter. We'll buy Australian butter and then make it into sheets. You know, sort of make it like a butter sheets that is good for folding croissants. But then I um, went to Sydney and met with Pepe Saya. Yeah, and then that's the only butter I use now. I'm in love with that butter. And, um, yeah. and he does sheets and... And he sends them to me on a Wednesday. So if it goes after two weeks, it starts smelling, which I love. Mm. Cultured, fresh, you know. It comes yeah. in in a week, it's gone, we reorder. Yeah. And then that what makes it. Yeah. It's not me, it's the butter. In, in croissant, <laughs> it's all in the butter, mm. nothing else. Mm. If you've got a good butter, that's it. Yeah. Now, laminating, mm. what's... What's the, se- what's the secret to that? No, how many times do you, should you be folding? Well, it depends. Everybody does it differently. But usually it's three single folds, right? Um, but then the butter has to be dry butter, right? So they... Um, so when you... So the whole thing is that you don't want the butter to melt inside the dough while you're doing it, or else it becomes a brioche. That's right. the only difference. So when you do dry butter, it has a... So when you're working with it, it won't melt. It has, a, it has less fat in it than a normal butter. And then when you put it in the proofer, let's say a normal butter would melt at 25 degrees, a dry butter will, won't melt until like it reaches 30. So when you're proofing it at 28, it's still, the yeast will get activated, but the butter won't melt. And then that's the only secret. And then when you bake it, and this is phenomenal, it's like, <laughs> Why does it have all these layers? Because the butter melts at heat and then the hydration of the butter melting, it pushes up the dough. Ah. So that's how even puff pastry, you know, it rises up. It's because the butter held it shaped enough for it to go into the oven. And then once it hits that 180 degrees, it just melts and it starts pushing the dough. Yeah. The evaporation of the butter goes up, up, up the steam. It is. It's chemistry, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it's it's good chemistry. Good chemistry. <laughs> it's amazing chemistry. Yeah. So that's um, that's why people use dry butter. They don't use um, normal butter. Because normal butter, it's your hand temperature will melt it if you hold it. With dry butter, it will have a bit of okay. heat resistance. So great. Mm. Your diploma. Yeah. <laughs> so, I'm so proud and so lucky. You know, the experience at school was phenomenal. Yeah. It was, it was like being at the army. The discipline and the respect that you find in France for goods. Yeah. You know, they teach you how to use the carrot, everything in the carrot. Because it's, even when, you, when you're cooking a chicken, there's the soul that was killed for you to enjoy. It. Like the chicken was an actual soul. Yes. So you have to cook it with respect yes. and not burn it and end up in the bin. You know, so that's, um, they teach you all that and that's amazing. Yeah. You know, so, so it's not only a piece of chicken that comes into the kitchen and you're cooking it. No, I always in my back of my hand. There was a chicken and a farmer and all the hard work. That's you right. know, imagine and then it ends up until the waiter puts it on your plate. Because he might be rude and ruin the whole process of 
you know, it's, it's a huge process for you to eat a croissant. You know, you might think about the cow, about the farmers, about the transportation that, you know, for me delivering the butter, delivering the flour and us making it. And, and then it could come down to a waiter, a rude waiter that will come in and ruin everything for you. And that's what I try and teach them, to respect the whole process, yes. you know. And even you, ha you could have the best customer service, but the worst chef in there. And then he will ruin all that hospitality experience for you. Yes. So it's it's a circle of life. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And I often bring it up in, in these chats about reading this book, um, like water for chocolate, and um, it's about this chef whenever she cooks, her emotions go into the food, yeah. and then the people that eat that. And I think what you're it's exactly what you're yeah. saying. I think it goes it goes before her yeah, as well. Yeah, before yeah, the absolutely. Chef to, and to, then to I mean, and this is how we can if everybody does in anything you do in life. If we respect this whole process, we live in a much better world. Yeah. You know, we don't need to work for global warming. We don't need to. If we respect what's happening, we can save the earth yes. on the longer term. That's so fascinating because I just um, I just listened to a podcast um, the other day with Mark Ruffalo, two actors, Kevin Bacon and Mark Ruffalo, and they were saying that Mark Ruffalo works for some community um, and environmental group. Yeah. And, um, and the woman he works with was saying exactly that. She said, we can talk about, we can get to zero carbon emissions and yep. all of that, but until you treat the root values, yes. um, and that's, that's amazing. So and it's education. You, yeah. It's education. Like, I was blown away when I went to Japan, right? My last trip, it was only earlier this year. And I, was, I, was, I really came back with a different mindset, you know? Because... You see them how they live in such a harmony, even though it's one of the most populated city in the world. Yeah. And then at the same time, you f you don't feel that dense of people, because everybody does everything with respect, you know. And then this is what I think. If we take the Japanese as a as an example, how to how to respect this planet Earth, I think we'll be fine. How can we get people to do that? <laughs> it's education, unfortunately. And, and then we have to start, if I start here, I mean, I have, a, I have a great team here that it took me a while for them to understand my culture of what I see in life. Like we, we have a lot of um, disabled or, or young people that come for the experience here. And then at, at the end of the day, they don't have to put up with it, even though it's my choice. Right, to have those people give them a chance in life. But they all understand that they're doing this for, uh, for the benefit of the society. So they take them in and then they train them nice. So everybody here knows that it's not only about the business. It's about how can we change the world in a... In a, in a, in a well, I'd like to think that, really, that at least I'm making a difference. And if I can pass it on, imagine how many people will come and work here or they'll come and eat here. Like, and then they see that we can still live in a happy place. Everybody comes here and thank us for the customer service or for the food. And I look at them, I said, this is how it should be. Like, you know, it's not, it's not that you should go and expect them to be rude. Like, normal is to have a good, what's hospitality? Is when somebody walks in and you'll be hospitable. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so everybody's happy here. I can guarantee you this. And I make sure that their life beyond this door that I make sure they're fine because if I can make a difference on every single one of my employees or my co-workers 
they'll make a difference somewhere else. That's right. You know? and I love that. This is how I think I'm changing my own world. Mm. At least the people that I get to meet on this life journey. Yes. Yeah. That's what I, that's what I love to do. Not only forget the food, forget that, you know. And even every customer that comes in, you, you can change somebody's day just by, you know. And then they become, they defend you. Even if you do a mistake with the croissant, they come, that's okay, you know. Because you've been so nice to them for such a long time. They'll defend you. Even if they hear somebody else complaining about you, they'll be like, hang on. You know, I'm sure they can do better. And they'll come and they'll tell us. And this is how, this is how... This is what I love here. I'm creating my own community for a better world, put it this way. And I hope I can reach it, maybe. I'm just still dreaming. But at least I'm making a difference in five people's lives. I'm happy with that. Perfect. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Conversation with the Chef with Mariana Shadid at Brûlée Patisserie in Port Melbourne. You can check out all the goodness on Instagram at B-R-U-L-E-E-A-U as well as at Through the Eyes of a Chef which is at through.theeyes.ofachef If you liked what you heard and you want to hear more stories from other chefs I'm on Instagram at Conversation with a Chef You can read the chat and become a subscriber at www.conversationwithachef.com which is good for me because I know you're there and it's good for you because I think you get notified when a new conversation comes up I'd also absolutely love it if you told a friend about my chats and you can uh, follow me on Apple and Spotify podcasts and more recently on Audible and Amazon podcasts as well. Once again, thanks so much for listening. Have a great day and bon appétit.